Welcome to the Punters Preamble. I'm Simon Dinopoulos. I'll be joined by Adam Blenko, Group 1 Racing again in the West on the weekend. Very much looking forward to the Northerly. I think it is the race of the pinnacles. But who is the top rated? Race of the pinnacles and race of the weekend anywhere in the world by our numbers. I didn't, I must admit, I haven't conducted an exhaustive search. But we're uh, all quiet on the Eastern Front with Japan and, and Hong Kong both in was going to say hibernation. We're only waiting a couple of weeks till the Hong Kong International Meeting and, and the Aaron McKeenan around Christmas, but um, a quieter weekend than, than we've had there. Uh, Europe is hibernating on the flat. So it is Perth. All eyes on Perth. I mean, they have been anyway for a month, haven't they? Mm. But um, Cascadian has the honour of being the highest rated horse running anywhere in the world this weekend. And by the strictly by the numbers, I would say he looks... A very likely winner of the Northerly, but it does look a numbers versus the map men sort of competition. And what we need, what everyone needs, is a West Australian form expert. Have we got one handy? <laughs> we'll find one. <laughs> I hate the draw for Cascadian. I know he goes back, but it, it gives him no opportunity to go forward. The thing is, he has a clear class edge, no question. He is the best horse in this race. But is that no question? Are we not saying there's some question that, that the filly could make that, could be that? No. To be his level, two-time group one winner, I don't think so. It's a long way out on the right tail. Mm. I'll, I'll give you that. It's not unheard of. But he's going to concede a bit now. Mm. So all the advantages he has in talent, he's going to concede at the start. Matt Men versus the ratings men. Because the worst thing for Godolphin happened last weekend with Polelli snagging from that draw and rounding them up. Now they know it can be done. Now they know it can be done. I've seen mixed views of Amelia's Jewel drawing the inside draw. I actually love it. You're pro? I'm pro. Just looking back at three-year-olds. So they've won almost double their share since 1979, three-year-olds, in this race. All the way back to 79. You have been digging. How good's our database? Unbeatable. Anyway, I went back to 2000 looking at three-year-olds that have won the Northerly. So KC, Arcadia Queen, Perfect Reflection, It's a Him, Playing God, Megatic, and Old Comrade, the champ. And had a look at their settling positions because I was talking to you during the week. I felt they raced on speed. And one, two, three, four of them settled fourth. Two have come from the back. Surprisingly, both in Cerise and White. That is their MO. The Perfect Reflection settled 12th, Old Comrade settled 10th, Megatic, Settled sixth in the race. KC, when she won it, drew barrier one. She settled seventh in the Guineas, settled fourth in the Kingston Town, came up the inside and won that. Very similar to Amelia's Jewel in terms of where she settled in the Guineas. I don't think they tried to push her from the draw in the Guineas. Carberry sort of came out fairly neutral, happy to land a spot midfield. I reckon they're going to push from the inside draw. They're going to have to. You don't want to get locked away, fence. I think sometimes stables get their tails up a little bit by the good record of three-year-olds at Wait for Age before Christmas. Well, they have a great record at Wait for Age anyway, but I think particularly before Christmas, they see it as a big advantage getting that pull in the weights because this is a Cox Plate thing. The three-year-old will always be a little bit keener to be up on speed and, and the theory being... The make theory, use of it. To make use of it, yeah. So there, there's often you do... I, is there any? There might be something to it. It's certainly in trainers' mindset. Well, there is something to it. Racing closer to the speed is advantageous. Yeah, yeah. And there is a 
It might be a biased sample, but there is a, a, an advantage to being a three-year-old in these races as well. If you're ahead of the curve, for sure. Yeah, well, they tend that's the that's the bias. Yeah. The one the three-year-olds that run in these races are the best ones. <laughs> yeah, but um, she's there to run really well because as you, you've made a compelling case, and you're right, they have historically overachieved somewhat in this race, and she's rated ahead of most of those going in. Is is she not? All bar Arcadia Queen. Bar Arcadia Queen, yeah. So and we were talking about how big a jump she had to make in the guineas to get near Arcadia Queen because, as we know, it gets a lot harder from here. Mm. She took a pretty good step, I thought, yeah. in that guineas. I was looking at KC because I feel like she's the she feels like the most relevant pointer, if you like, if you're into trying to tag one to, a, to another horse from history. Yep. Even looking back at KC, knowing what she did subsequently and knowing that she's won the Kingston Town, you can't make her guineas run anywhere near as good as Amelia's Jewels guineas run. It just is better than, than that. So she's ahead of, of where the... Admittedly, I th- if Cascadian's on and gets any any breaks, then KC's performance in this is not going to be good enough. No. So there, there, you know, there might be more asked of her, but Cascadian's got his problems to overcome as well. But he does have, in his corner, the best jockey in Australia by a ways and the best trainer in Australia, arguably, but I would also argue by a ways. Mm. So he's, he's well-connected. He is. Cascadian, and I would say his last three ratings, four of his last six, if he if he runs them here, they'll they'll win, I think. Mm. I think that's fair to say. And even the two that I'm I'm sort of leaning against are finishing strongly and not out of this. So he's he's got a big bank of form. In fact, we've got the bubbles up on the site and you can see it there. He's got bang, bang, bang. There's bubbles. Well, for starters, well above the, the field average and, and for you know, for second. I think he's three. He's got three big recent bubbles, all well ahead of of the field. So his case is um, is made fairly strongly by the bubble chart. Yeah, I think the the corporates certainly fell asleep with this futures market. They didn't have Cascadian favourite after Amelia's Jewel won the Guineas, and then now the markets reacted. And it's interesting with the draw. I think had Cascadian drawn middle, he's an even money chance. That wide draw, if he does snag, and he's near last on the turn. I know Polelli did it last week, but he was $13. Cascading inside 2-1. to one. On form, has to be inside 2-1. to one. On the map, I don't really know. I'm not saying he's the dunno. He's clearly the best horse, and I think he'll go very close. Amelia's jewel, if they push from that inside draw, though, and all of a sudden she's fourth in the coffin, you know, everyone's like, she's got to pray for luck. If you're in the coffin, I think you're fine. If you're three back the fence... Gets a little messy, so I think they have to use that draw. Otherwise, yeah. it's it's going to spell trouble. Well, the room you need multiplies, then doesn't it? I mean, if you're in the coffin and people don't like it in there, and people, it's become very trendy to bag barrier one. Although it is still an advantage when you look at the evidence. When you look at results from not all, but for a lot of courses and distances, and the Ascot 1800 is one of them. If there is an advantage in the draw, it's to low draws. So there is still an advantage there. And, of course, you've got to use it and you still need a bit of luck. But I feel like from barrier one as well, when there is bad luck, everyone goes, see? But everyone ignores the times when they don't mm. and when other people get bad luck from anywhere. So you, you need luck because you need luck from everywhere. But barrier one is, as you say, it, if anything, it incentivizes them to, to make better use of her. Is there a third pick? Do we need to – we've built this up really as a match race, but we do have a good railway winner there. We've got a good railway winner, but – He's going to settle back with Cascadian and he can't beat him if he does that. Yeah, in a fair fight, he's not Cascadian. Is that what we're saying there? Yep. Steinem, I would think, is not good enough. She's not good enough, no. The filly's going to run a new peak on the weekend and then if that's the case, I think only Cascadian can beat her. 
yeah, I think that's a reasonable line to take. One other positive thing that Cascadian has going for him is that he's 1.33 times something and 54.8% times something from 163 starters. I jotted that down. I have no idea what I was looking at. The things you do when you're looking at the form. <laughs> I don't know what I've written down there or, or what I was looking at at the time, but there is another positive pointer there for Cascadian. There is. I, I don't know what it is, but yeah. I'll trust you. Factor that in. Everyone. You wouldn't have wrote it down <laughs> unless it meant something. But it's going to be a hell of a race. As I said, I think it is the race of the pinnacles. You've got the star filly. You've got the established group one wait for age horse in there. J-Max come over for the ride. I think they'd be very happy over at Rawa, given what we're likely to see there on the weekend. 11 out of 15 horses off the Champions Mile have improved their finish position in the Northerly. There's another little fun fact I jotted down. Yep. In fact, you know the two horses that... Well, there's three horses that did it, and they're all, but two in particular to me, seem almost dead ringers for Cascadian that did this. Nick and Eero twice, and Sniper's Bullet. They both, they were mainstays in the going over to the West. Geez, Nick and Eero feels like Cascadian to me. They are absolute dead ringers. So that might bode well for him as well. Mm. I'm hoping they do roll on the filly, and if they get a spot, if they land the coffin and Cascadian's back, it's going to be a hell of a race in the straight. So looking forward to that. They jump at 7.45. I'll be at a wedding, I'll be MC, and I'll be ensuring that nothing will be happening at 7.45. I'll be out the back on the phone. There better be a reception down in Eden or I'll be spitting chips. There's not much else in Eden. They need reception. <laughs> they need reception. <laughs> what else do you do between Whalen? <laughs> Before we push on and get to Bizarros and Dunnos, what do you know? Do you have a push one way or the other? Are you, t- are you tipping something, I suppose, is the question. I think Your millions of fans want to know. Are you tipping them into something or are you enjoying the sport? I don't exactly love the draw with Cascadian, but I think close to two to one is a fair bet. You're a ratings man, not a map man. I am. Good. And I trust J-Mac to, to get it right. Glad to have you on board. Now, what don't you know? Give us a dunno. The dunno for me, no surprise, this is one of your favourite races every year, the Jungle Dawn Classic. Oof, live for it. And the Simon Miller trained Ginger Flyer on our ratings looks an absolute moral. Put three on the bounce before a break. I'm just playing around with my magic Monte Carlo machine. Race seven, Ginger Flyer, odds on. Exactly. And it's 480. Oh. Because I don't know if that form she built up was purely because of the wet tracks. Uh. And her trials leading into this campaign have been awful. You're going to say, I don't know that that form she put up is where it should be ratings-wise, mate. Well, I'm banking on your handicapping over there being good, buddy. <laughs> no, those ratings are right. But they're on heavy ground. She towed up the Velvet Queen, although that was a day. Chrissy Parnham, the Velvet Queen, yuck. But <laughs> her form is legitimate coming through those grades. But her two trials have been very, very suspect. And now I'm not so sure, was it simply she enjoyed getting the sting out? At the back end of last prep, but I imagine she's been set for this race. Carberry's on. 61.2% of the time she wins, according to the, your numbers. So you're having a fair bet at 480 then, aren't you? What's that about $1.65? <laughs> so it is It is a very much a dunno. It's a big enough edge to uh, put the dunnos aside for cold, hard numbers punters. But, yep, the... So I've gone digging. Yeah, you've gone digging. So she didn't trial in blinkers and races in blinkers. Maybe she, you know, didn't trial well because of that. But then watching her trials leading into her last preparation, she didn't trial in blinkers and trialed much, much better. So the ratings are staring at me saying bet, but my eyes are saying no. Well, in my experience, do not trust your eyes. Just bet, blind. 
you get it wrong, you'll get them wrong even when you do trust your eyes. Just get them wrong and smile about it. <laughs> is Vane Tempest the danger? Is it the market danger? It's the market danger. Okay. Well, at least I'm. At least these ratings are directionally right. Of course they, they are. Oh, of course, of course. Settle down. <laughs> so Vane Tempest has the speed figure Snipperucci form. She's got probably the best form on paper in that sense. She ran into Snipperucci, Hot Zed, who ran third in the Winterbottom last weekend, and then Snipperucci again when she was snagged from that wide draw and made good ground. Now she draws inside. Chris Parnham goes back on, should be able to take up a position. So if you're happy to pen Ginger Flyer because of the trials, uh, Vane Tempest is the obvious next elect. Mm, well, if you're, if you're penning that much of the market, yeah, you're going you're gonna to find some bets. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but yeah, no, it's a dunno. I, I really dunno. don't know. No, I can I can see that you don't know. And I can see it's another ratings versus the more qualitative sort of side of things clash a little bit like the, the Nordley in that way. Well, it's interesting because when we printed out the sheets, I was like, oh, how good's this? Ginger yeah. fly, can't wait to bet. And then I actually watched the trials and I'm like, oh, I don't know now. Let's so I still don't still know. still can't wait to bet. Oh, Just maybe not on her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we'll have to wait and see. One I do know, or I feel, is Bizarro. Is this week's Bizarro? This week's Bizarro is Aztec Ruler. Unbeaten in two starts. He beat Revit up on Dubu, who they got one back on us last week. Pike leading all the way with the Bizarro winning, which oh. that stung. That stung. Got one back and then a really impressive winner when last seen 1,200 metres at Belmont, soft track, but ran good figures. However. So what's bizarre about this? <laughs> so the bizarre factor in this race is that Chris Parnham has ridden this horse, two wins and all four trials. So two trials this preparation as well, and the horse has trialed terribly. And Chris Parnham jumps off to ride the saloon bar, who I know Dan Morton has a massive rap on. I remember coming into its debut last time in, and just took a while to put it all together. He won his maiden over 1,400 and then narrowly beaten behind Santorio, who's ran third in the Guineas and won last weekend. So he's also got some pretty good form. By sessions, we've never seen him short of 1,200. I thought he trialed all right, but Chris Parnham jumps off Aztec Ruler to ride him. Off his trials, Aztec Ruler, there's no way you could back him because this horse did trial sharp before its last prep. So I think it's had a setback and it's currently favourite 310. There's no way it starts favourite. I think it'll be a big drifter. Chris Barnum, one of the leading, if not the leading jockey in Perth away from Pike, now Pike's home. But the fact that he's done all the work on it, including his trials leading into this campaign, and he jumps off to ride Saloon Bar, who he has ridden all the way through as well. So I thought that was a key pointer in the form, and I expect the market to react to that on the day. Street Parade was a good winner, and J-Mac goes on. I suggest Street Parade will be favourite. J-Mac goes on, but it's not a positive switch because it's a... It's a bucket to A bucket. He takes over from Lactar. <laughs> so, like for like. Like for like. So J-Mac's only got two rides on the day. He's riding right. Street Parade in the first and just couldn't get a ride. No one wanted him. Good loyalty shown. Do you reckon he's just, he just wanted a little spin around, get a look at the track? I think Ben Mellum just went winner bottom. Bang. That was it. Jamie Carr just went over for a handicap. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're bloody amazing. And yeah, only one ride. So unless... They all had their jockeys already booked and pre-planned prior, which for a feature day wouldn't surprise. But he goes over for the Street Parade Cascadian Double. But I will be backing Saloon Bar in that. And so will your legion of fans. 
Have you got a best? So best in Perth, race three. We backed truly inspired last start. It should win again. I think it's shade of odds on as of Thursday afternoon. Bit of a drifter last start, so we'll hope that happens again. It looks one of the more likely winners on the day. Really nice horse, truly inspired. Race four would be the best of them, though. Category three, rock solid in both starts back this time in. Now steps up to 1,400 metres. Pike goes on, and on ratings, she should be too good for them. Best of the day at Ascot, race four, number nine, category three. Sydney looks pretty hard on the weekend. There's a few nice horses, but they're running a twilight meeting on Friday, and they're pretty much running the same races on both days. So there's dual acceptors everywhere. So have fun with that, punters. Really nice horse in the last, but has drawn barrier 16. So I'm not sure if Waller's going to run it, but one on debut in the UK and then was really impressive in its Australian debut. I'm talking about the three, race 10, number three. Big watch on it, but from 16, let it go round at the short odds. But one horse that certainly jumps off the page from a ratings perspective at Rose Hill comes up in race three, the mighty Cranbourne form. Gaza Blanca takes on a few last up winners and progressive horses, but it's a real horse, isn't it? It went like a rocket on Cup Day there and the well-worn path of Cranbourne to Rose Hill. 12 years, one winner. Can you name it? Racing trivia. Since when? Uh, I looked at the last dozen years. Last dozen years. One winner. From how many runners? They've beaten home 40% fewer horses at Rose Hill than Cranbourne the start prior as a group of 17 to have tried. <laughs> One winner, and he ran 101 plus. Went really well at Cranbourne. A bit yep. like Garza Blanco. Yeah. Who also ran big time figure at Cranbourne. Kubrick. Oh, I was going to say no. Kubrick. <laughs> uh, I, Garza Blanco has got to be a shot at being better than Kubrick. I would think so. Most have Greece. It's a bit dismissive of Kubrick. I know that it's easy to say that now that he's, perennial loser but he's still I thought he, he was largely a disappointment when he came back though I thought he was we well, didn't gold, do a lot of winning I thought he was a golden rose horse well you, then you were disappointed <laughs> but he went from Cranbourne rated 101 plus which is on debut so he's well above average Gaza Blanca ran 103 plus the other day and the, yeah the time was slick mm. hammering the well-regarded stablemate Greece who did get cross-checked well did it herself to be honest but getting a bit of a scuffle at the corner, but I doubt it would have mattered. No. Because the stable mate went like a rocket and had won his maiden by a space as well. So all the bits are there to say that he's fairly smart. So without having done the Rose Hill form, no disputes. He was certainly, he was one to watch wherever he went. And I think we were talked about him in, on the podcast. Mm. And I dare say, and I don't know if I did say, but the one niggle with him would be that the only way is surely down. I know that he's only lightly raced, but think he's got a good steer there and gone really well. So is that good enough to – can he repeat and win? Yep. Well, then that's that's fairly likeable. You've got your friend Great Barrier Reef in there. Oof. Well, he can improve with fresh air. <coughs> and he'll need to jump. No, I think Garza Blanca looks an odds-on chance in race three. As Adam touched on, a little bit of cold water that you'll probably come off it. So he's saying he's on the elevator. He's coming down. It's a little bit – well, it's just that things have gone so well for him the other day. He's – you sort of expose yourself. It went really well for him and he went really well. So that's a good sign. Mm. I mean, if things go well for you, it's it's nice if you run really fast. And he did that. So if things go well for him again, we know that he can run really fast, which is a big asset in a race. Your best bet down Pakenham Cup Day. Pakenham Cup Day. Interesting meeting, actually. There's a few 
interesting horses across the card. I thought there was a, several options to, to be thrown up. I've thrown up Sound as an each-way play in the Cup, backing up off the Zipping Classic last week where he never threatened. He's nine years old, never threatened last week. This is very you. Yeah, beautiful profile for the Packenham Cup. But he can only run well. Backed up once in his life and got edged out by Ash Run in a Hotham handicap. And he's got a even his midfield effort in the Caulfield Cup was um, his form looks plain, but it's better than what I would expect any of the horses he's up against on Saturday to have done in several of the spots that he has landed. So I like that the stable in form as well. They're hardly chasing winners or you know they're not desperate at the moment. They've got their pockets hanging out and they're happy to turn him out quickly. So I'm so I'm thinking he's in rude health. And there's been enough in his form for me to think that he's better than a 14 to 1 chance. But I made my best, Najem Sahail, former South African, who I might have made my best. Down the straight? Yeah, or each way down the straight, one of those. And edged out, but ran really well again, backed up the sail wind. So two first two runs in Australia were very, very rusty. But was of 820 days and in another country. So we're, uh, we're forgiving we're that forgiving. rust. Yeah. <laughs> and then just put it all together at sail. The figure was great. I think backed it up at, at Flemington in a race that, again, it was really that big 1,100-metre handicap they close cup week with. It's always hugely competitive and always – I think it's a good race to close cup week because it's all – it's very um, summer racing. It is a really uh, a reminder to, you know, what the next month is going to look like. And here it is. And Najem Sahail turns up here and lands Bishin. Any niggle back to 1,000? No, I, I like where it's drawn. 1,000 metres at Pakenham gets a chance to find its feet and – Bishin is the, the man to do the job there. Riding very well, isn't His he? His numbers are tremendous. So I was looking at that because he's the uh, the big riser he on is. the racing and sports power rankings, which he'd have a close eye on. All important. Course. He is a big friend of RNS, Blake Shin. I think he's a friend of everyone. Mm. He's just a generally nice bloke. But more importantly than being nice, he's a bloody good jockey. Mm. And I was saying in Victoria last six months, only Jay Mack and Jay Carr have had a bigger impact. And he's had the same effect as them switching on in terms of ratings change. So he's having a really, you know, he's having not only a big impact by getting on the right horses, he's giving them every chance and some as well. So he's in a big five, I'll say at the moment, the big five jockeys from the last six months in Victoria, J-Mac, J-Car, B-Shin, D-Lane, and who's fifth? It's actually, it's, there's a pack and a pointer in it as well. Well, it's not Ollie. It is not D-Oliver, who's not in the dozen that I've printed out. He doesn't appear to be riding well, Ollie. Not Benny Mellum? No, he's in the dozen, but... No, he's being outperformed by Harry Coffey. Really? Yeah, Harry Coffey sticks his little nose in there amongst Craig Williams and D-Lane and B-Shin and those sort of names. And we're talking here over 282 rides he's had in that time. We're not talking, oh, Harry got on a bit of a burner and, you know, he was riding Osti's horses up at Swan Hill or something and, you know, got an armchair ride. No, no, he's that's a sustained um, 50 winners in the last six months. Great six months. Going really, really well. And the Packenham pointer with him is that he's on Jimmy the Bear who will, I suspect, start favourite in the 1400 or close enough to. I th- I will mark him favourite. Yep. And I suspect everyone else will too. And he's coming off the Golden Eagle. So it's a zero in the form book, but it's a pretty good zero midfield and a Golden Eagle, I would have thought, for back to Packenham. Yep. And even his form prior to that around horses like Cardinal Gem, another midfielder in the Eagle, is pretty good. I thought he found himself pretty well placed. There's also American Mayor in the last whose name escapes me. She's same colours and not quite as well performed, but not a dissimilar profile to Lighthouse, who got going this time last year. She won it, I think she won a cram, but on cram and cup day Lighthouse. And she ended up going through, she won a manifold and then a Coolmore, mm. among other things. And Ivy League looks very much of type. She's only won a couple of races, allowance races, but she's been good enough to be 
pitched up and, and had a go at a couple of group races over there. She's got ratings over 100, like more than one, so I don't think they're false. Yep. So she'll be very interesting there. P. Stokes' favourite in that last two, Aaron Bay. P. Stokes at home is very different to P. Stokes everywhere else. Big home ground advantage. There is. For some reason, Packenham, I reckon, is as big a home ground advantage as there is probably in Victoria. And we saw Cram and trainers dominated Cup Day there. I reckon there's a bigger one. Where is it? McAvoy, Ballarat. On the syntho. On the syntho. Untouchable. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's. it's not a dissimilar effect for for Stokes at, at Packenham. His numbers are just – he's a really good trainer at Packenham and he's probably um, – I don't think I'm being unfair to say when he goes to town and things, he's run of the mill. And even Moody's numbers, I haven't checked them very recently, but Moody's numbers are obviously very good, but I'm pretty sure there's a slight uptick when he's playing at home in the small time that he's been there as well. So Very interesting. Packenham trainers at Packenham. That wraps us up this week. We'll be back with the review show on Monday. We'll have a few key things to talk about, especially <laughs> uh, Adam's best on ground performance at the Christmas party on Saturday. Going for three in a row. That your bet of the week. That's my bet of the week. It's a dollar oh one. There's a few key outs for the Christmas party. Tomas was deep, deep odds on to be best on ground after his first up performance last year. He was outstanding. He won the Rising Star Award. He was on fire. <laughs> but I think, uh, as usual, cream rises to the top and you're just warming beautifully. Sammy Williams, his first Christmas party. He's got his cricket final on the Sunday, so no doubt you're He'll be making a duck. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers.